This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie Deschal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. The title of my message is Receiving the Spoils of War. Now, I want you to understand something. There is a huge difference between obeying the Word of God and doing the Word of God. Some people think it's the same. Well, you know what? I know a lot of people that obey God, but they never do what He says. And I'll show you the little, you may say, oh, it's semantics. I'll I'll let you see this in a minute. I know a lot of people that know how to pray, but they don't know how to receive. They obey God in prayer, but they don't know how to receive what they prayed about. We have seen that this year is the year to receive the spoils of war, not just to go to battle. I know many Christians, many of you here, many of you listening by radio, you have been battling and battling and battling. In fact, you even have this whole mantra around spiritual warfare. But you know what? There's no spiritual warfare if we don't win the battle and if we don't get the spoils of the battle. I know, I see many who know how to pray, I said it before, but they don't know how to receive. You see, the Old Testament gives us an example of the Israelites. And we're told that they were not able to enter into the promises of God because of unbelief. Why? Because they did not mix the word of God with faith. Hebrews 4, 2, let's just look at it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. This year, I said earlier, one of the verses that is paramount and one of the verses that is important to our church and I believe to our nation that God has illuminated to us is the whole of Psalm 149. But Psalm 149, Psalm 149 verse 6 says, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. You'll see how important this is as you begin to, throughout this year, see the power of praise and the power of the Word of God combine to bring about victories in your life. And, and God says it another way. He says, I desire people to worship me in spirit and in truth. And, and, and so God is beginning to mold these things together on another level, another dimension. Now, I'm going to help you shift your faith tonight. So I'm dealing with the subject of faith ultimately. And I want you to keep in mind the fact that the children of Israel could not enter into promise, could not enter into the things that God had designed for them, could not take the spoils of their war because of their unbelief. It's through praise and worship that we enter into God's presence. That's why I believe that the praise and worship aspect of the ministry of a church is just as important as the preaching of the word. I don't believe one is more important than the other. I believe that the Bible says in Psalm 100, 100 and verses 4 and 5, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth Endureth all generations. Can you see it all there? Praise and truth. Praise and truth. They're all there throughout these scriptures. No real victory can ever really be exerted against the enemy, or no real power can be exerted against the enemy unless it's at the place or it comes from a place of victory. You have to understand something that the enemy doesn't care how much you fight. He just doesn't want you to win. The enemy doesn't care how much you confess. He just doesn't want you to take what's his. And we have to have a full understanding before we have these victories of what our authority in Christ Jesus is really all about. We need to see our position in Christ, seated in heavenly places. Because without this revelation, you and I just become pawns in the game. The enemy taunts us. The enemy plays with us. And 
for the most part, many Christians are just tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, running after a prophet or running after a teacher or running after all kinds of things, the latest and the greatest, this, the, the next self-help gospel trick. And, and the fact of the matter is that that's not how Jesus designed his church. That's not how he designed you and I. And we're going to be delving into that. Pastor Mark is going to help us understand why it is so important to understand how growth takes place. I've asked Pastor uh, Peter Morgan to talk to us about how the growth in prayer, how, how it's, it's not just a magical, it's not magic, it's, not, it, it's, it's systematic. It, it, it has to do with you developing and taking more ground. There's going to be some dynamic, dynamic teaching this week. Amen. Well, let's just look at a passage of Scripture that kind of reflects this. Uh, I think we all know the story that when the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and uh, others besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle, and uh, you can put the scripture up. It's, in, it's found in Second uh, Chronicles 20. And uh, some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, there comes a great multitude against you from beyond the, this, from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. And behold, they be in Hazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. Now, I want you to understand something. When an enemy comes against you, you fear, don't you? Jehoshaphat feared. And he set himself to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. What have we just been doing? We've been seeking God through fasting and through prayer. I hope it's not because of fear, but some of you may be fearing. But let me tell you something. When you fast and pray, we're seeking God for an answer. Okay, and Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou not the God of heaven? And rulest thou not over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand you? Are you not our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwelt therein, and have built you a sanctuary therein for your, your name, saying, If when evil comes upon us, as the sword, or judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before your house, O God, and in your presence, for thy name is in your house, and cry to you in our affliction, then you will hear and help. And now, behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they have turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, now they reward us to come and cast us out of our possession, which you gave us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no might against this great company, and they come against us. Neither know we what to do. But now I want you to see this next verse, this next part. It says, but our eyes are upon you. Let me just stop there for a second. We'll read the rest of this. Our eyes are upon you. Can I tell you something? So many Christians get their eyes in the wrong place. We get our eyes on the problems. We get our eyes on the government. We get our eyes on Zimra. We get our eyes on all kinds of things, don't we? We get our eyes on, on a get-rich-quick scheme. We get our eyes on how can I... I mean, how many of you have your eyes in the wrong place, but our eyes are on you? The Bible is full of these kind of verses. The New Testament says that we are to look unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We're supposed to know this, that having begun a good work in us, he is able to bring it to completion. So we've got to get our focus right. We've got to say, okay, where is this, our eye, where are our eyes supposed to be? He says, our eyes, we are fearful. It's not wrong to be afraid as long as your eyes are in the right place. Lord, we're afraid, but our eyes are on you. And all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, their children. Do you know how significant this is? 
I'll tell you what, when your family gets in agreement, when you're all standing together, in fact, when anybody stands together, God can do something. He says, where there is unity, there I bestow my blessing. And all Judah stood before the Lord, their little ones, their wives, and their children. So it wasn't just one family. It was all Judah, all the families standing with their children, their wives, everybody. And then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah. This guy must have been somebody to give the whole lineage here, okay? A Levite of the sons of Asaph came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, listen, all of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord unto you. Well, I'll tell you what, don't you love it when God speaks? And what did he say? The same thing he says throughout the Bible. Be not afraid. What did he tell them before they were supposed to take the promised land? Be not afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. God, God has one message. He doesn't really change. Be not afraid. Don't be afraid. Do not be dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours but God's. See, I'm sorry. I look at too many Christians who think the battle is theirs. Now, we have to go out to battle. We have to be involved in the battle. But I'm going to tell you something. The battle is the Lord. Say that out loud. Say. Say it again. No, no, no. Say it like you mean it. The battle is the Lord's. Hallelujah. Amen. So he goes, he says this. Tomorrow, go you down against them. Behold, they're going to come up by the cliff of Ziz. And you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourself, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go down against them, for the Lord will be with you. Now I'll tell you what, I love when you get a word from God. But not only was this a word from God that, hey, the Lord will be with you. By the way, the Bible says this, he will never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Is that right? Hmm. But the problem is, I'm not worried about him leaving me and him forsaking me. I'm worried about me leaving him. I'm worried about you leaving him. You see, nations leave God. Our nation left God. We don't follow God. Our leaders do not follow God. They openly don't follow God. They pay lip service to God, but they don't follow him. Many Christians don't follow God. Many pastors and leaders, they call themselves pastors, but they're not following God. Many of you in this congregation have stopped following God. Oh, you pay lip service. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. Praise you, Lord. But it's not enough to say I praise you because you can't, you, you have to have a singleness of heart. Is anybody listening to me? Bible says in Jehoshaphat, here's the king, the king of the whole nation, bows his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Korathites, those are the praisers and the worshipers, and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and they went forth to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now here's the king. This is the king. He's taken the word of a man of God. He's taken the word of a prophet. One of God's prophets. Truly filled with the Spirit. Not a prophet who runs around selling you oil. Selling, I don't know what they're selling today, but there's always something to sell you. The servant of the Lord doesn't sell you things. The servant of the Lord, listen to me. 
understands that freely he has received and freely he gives. Amen. Praise God. He says, hear me. This is the king. This is the king. This is the president. Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now listen to what he says. Believe in the Lord your God, so you shall be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. Ho, ho, ho. Uh -oh. Let me tell you something. That's a key verse of Scripture. God has a plan for you and I. Believe in the Lord God. Now, believe in the Lord God is different than pay lip service to the Lord God. And trust in his prophets. Not only believe in the Lord your God, but believe in his prophets as well. Why? So that you'll be established and you will prosper. When he had consulted with the people, well, I tell you, wouldn't it be nice if somebody would consult with the people? Our representatives do not represent the people. They just represent themselves. And when he consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon. Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah. And they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir utterly to slay and destroy them. And they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir. Everyone helped to destroy another. And when, the, and when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, all they saw were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none had escaped. Now listen to what Jehoshaphat says. I love this part. This is the part I want you to get. You want to get excited? This is the part to get excited about. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering the spoil of it. It was so much. It was so much. <laughs> I'm telling you something. I'm telling you something. I know that some of you here sitting here think I'm an idiot. You think I'm a fool. Some of you listening on the radio, you think, oh, what's he talking about? I'm, I'm going to tell you something. That God can still today slay his enemies and bring about the spoils of war. But you have to fight the right enemy. You have to make sure that you're fighting God's enemies. And you have to make sure that God's fighting your battle. As long as you fight your battle, you're going to lose. As long as it's you that has all the answers, you're going to lose. But when you let God fight your battles, not only does he give you a victory, <laughs> but he gives you the spoils of war. These guys, they were three days gathering the spoils. It was so much. And God said, go get it, boys. Take three days. Go ahead. As long as it takes, just go get the spoils. God wasn't mad that you got the spoils. He said, get them, baby. Go get them. And on the fourth day, they assembled themselves together in the valley of Barakah. Now, Strong's Concordance says that Barakah means benediction or, more importantly, by implication, prosperity. Blessing. Liberal. Pool. Present. For there they blessed the Lord. In Barakah, they blessed the Lord. They had their prosperity. Therefore, the name of the place is still called the Valley of Barakon to this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat in the front of them to go again to Jerusalem. Now, here's what I want you to say something. To go to Jerusalem with what? Joy. 
You know what we're missing in Zimbabwe? We lost it a long time ago. Joy. Joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries around about them when they heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. <laughs> I want you to know something. God is going to bring joy to his people this year. Some of you are going to have joy again, but you're going to, wait, wait, wait. But you're going to have to let God fight your battles. Some of you have been trying to fight your own battles. Some of you have been in fear. Some of you are just ducking and diving. Some of you just hidden. Tap your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you right now. No, now tap your other neighbor and say, nah, he's really talking about me. The Bible says that in his presence is fullness of joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, many Christians have stopped having strength. They're not strong anymore. In fact, many are just surviving. Many are just trying to get by. See, we have to learn to delight ourselves in the Lord. I have to tell you something. There are times that I do not feel delighting in the Lord. Does anybody ever feel that way? How many of you just don't feel like delighting in the Lord? But you see, if you are going to live by faith, you cannot live by what you feel. There are many Christians today that are living by their feelings. Oh, I just feel so bad. I, I feel terrible standing in line to get my $40. Is it 40 or has it gone down to 30 now? It's ridiculous. Oh, I, I feel so terrible. What, what do you feel bad? What do you see? And you, you become feeling sensory oriented. Now, there's no faith in feelings. Faith and feelings are contrary to each other. The flesh wars against the spirit. Are you listening to me? There are times that you need to act excited before you'll get excited. Here. I want you to try something. Put the biggest smile on your face you can. Come on, put the biggest smile on your face you can. Just smile. Now, you know, it's really hard to smile and think negatively. It's really hard to just smile and then have a bad thought. It's just like, that's a crazy grin you got right there. I mean, that's, that's a crazy grin. But no, it's, it's kind of hard to smile and, and, and think negatively. Can I simply, there's times I don't feel like smiling, but you know what? Smile anyway. Smiles. Some of you have such beautiful smiles, I don't know why you don't use it more. But you see, a smile, even psychologists say, a smile changes your disposition. They say a hug changes your disposition. Did you know there's a lot of pot? They say that an affirmation changes your disposition. That's psychology. I know you don't believe the Bible, so let me tell you what psychologists tell you. But the Bible was here long before that. He says, a joyful heart doeth good like a medicine. Laughter doeth good like a medicine. Hmm. I want you to know something. People don't make you happy. I know people that are running around trying to make, find a person to make them happy. My wife thought I would make her happy. We've been married 35 years and she finally figured it out. I'm not going to make her happy. <laughs> I can't make her happy, but you know what? When you're in God, you get happy, and guess what? Then your husband's a bonus. 
God becomes your joy. God becomes your happiness. How many of you know comedians can't make you happy? Movies and entertainment won't make you happy. But God puts a joy on the inside that will set you free. You know, I believe that sometimes we just have to laugh at our enemies. Just have to laugh at the devil. Just laugh at the devil. Laugh at the enemies. Sometimes you just have to dance before the Lord. Not because I feel like it. Because my faith is working. Sometimes you need to just sing. Sometimes you need to shout. Sometimes you just need to praise him. Praise him. You know, the Bible says sometimes you just need to put off the old and put on the new. I don't know. Sometimes I just get tired of that old mopey guy. Now, I, I, I got over that quite a while ago. I try to pay, stay pretty constant all the time. But there's times I could catch myself getting kind of mopey. Do you know what I mean, mopey? How many of you have friends? Or how many pe people you know, they just have an attitude all the time? <laughs> when you see them coming, it's like, here comes the cloud. Yeah. Oh, here he comes again. Oh, brother, brother, cloud. Brother Mope. Sometimes you just have to say, I'm tired of moping. Take off that old man. Put on the dude. Hey! See, that's doing what the Word of God says. The Bible says, through faith and patience, they obtain the promises. Now, I love this story. There's a story... It's a true story. I'm going to read it to you. It says, in everything you do in your family, keep in mind the miracle of the Chinese bamboo tree. After the seed for this amazing tree is planted, you see nothing, absolutely nothing for four years except for a tiny shoot coming out of a bulb. During those four years, all the growth is underground in a massive fibrous root structure that spreads deep and wide in the earth. But then in the fifth year, the Chinese bamboo tree grows up to 80 feet in one year. I'm telling you that even in Zimbabwe, for those of you that have been obtaining things through faith and patience, it's not what has happened on the outside that counts. It's what kind of roots that God is putting on the inside that counts. I've had many people come and they say, I don't know if I can bear much more. The Bible says, blessed is he who overcomes. The Bible says, do not become weary in well-doing. The Bible says, hold fast to your confession of faith, for if you do, you shall reap a great reward. I'm sorry. Some of you have not made good use of this pressure. Some of you are not making good use of letting your roots get down. And I'm not sure how fast your Chinese bamboo tree is going to grow. You see, I don't know. I've worked hard. And I've invested time and effort. I do everything possible I can to nurture growth. And, you know, maybe some, you have too. And sometimes I don't see anything except for for weeks or months or even years. But I know this, that if you're patient and you keep working and you keep nurturing and you keep nurturing your faith and you keep nurturing the word of God and you stay where God wants you, that fifth year will come and you're going to be astonished at the growth. You're going to be astonished at the change you're going to see taking place. Patience, now listen to this, patience is faith in action. Patience is emotional diligence. 
It's the willingness to suffer inside so that others can grow. It reveals love. It gives birth to understanding. Sometimes you have to suffer patiently while someone else is growing, people close around you. You can't be right, so you take the burden of it. Sometimes when things are going wrong and even when evil and wicked people are doing things, sometimes it's all right to suffer righteously because God is about to make a shift that no man can stop. You know, I learned something a long time ago. The Bible describes God. He says he's the God of the beginning and the end. The alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. Lots of descriptions of him that, shows, that says he knows the beginning from the end. It's amazing to me. He's the author and the finisher of everything. Do you believe that? The problem is he shows you the beginning and he shows you the end. He just doesn't show you the in-between. You know, I think I said this Sunday night I was sharing. and uh, My son loves roller coasters. And he used to take me on every roller coaster he could find. <laughs> and I hated him. I, I was, let's put it this way. I was okay with him, but... That's not the number one thing. But you know what? When your son is that adamant, guess who gets to go with him and has to show that, hey, woohoo, this was really, that was great. <laughs> After a while, I got really used to him. It didn't bother me anymore. But boy, some of these were huge. And all I could tell you is that the people that got on the roller coaster, you saw them take off. And when they came back, they looked different. And the more you watch that, the more you realize that your time is getting close to get into that machine. And all I would do is pray that I didn't have to get in the front seat. But I can promise you something. Once you're on, all you know is that you're going to look like those people that finished. And I would get done, and I mean... You never knew what was going to happen. Up, down, turn left, turn right, upside down, spin, corkscrew, loop, and you get done. And for me, there was always tears in my eyes. Not because I was frightened or scared, but because we were going so fast. <laughs> can I tell you something? You don't need faith when you can see. You don't need faith at the beginning, and you don't need faith at the end. You need to walk by faith in between, in between. The Bible calls that the fight of faith. The fight of faith is fighting to walk in the word, not fighting demons. They're already defeated. We have so many prayer meetings where we're fighting demons. I'm saying, wait a minute, Jesus beat them. Now, I'm not, say wait, wait, wait. I'm not saying that there aren't influences in the earth and that we don't bind and loose. But we do it in the name of Jesus. They're defeated foes. We're only enforcing Satan's defeat. We need to learn to pray that way. And we need to begin to stand up and have some fortitude inside of ourselves to begin to pray the kind of prayers that can change our situations. Now, let me just talk to you as I close about a very important point. Here's why, and I'm gonna, I'll be developing this throughout the week, but here's why many of you and many people listening have become weak in their faith. It's because of grace. Many people have a grace that is focused on their past. They have an understanding that they were saved through faith, they were saved by grace through faith. And they have a focus on their past. And so if you have a focus on your past, it's very, very hard to live in the present. And see, God's grace is an amazing thing. And we're going to find out in the Hebrew language and, in, and, and in the, even in the Greek language, this grace 
isn't like you think. It's not something that happens. It's something that is happening. See, God is not a God of time. God's not limited by time. Only you and I are limited by time. God doesn't see time like you and I see time. God's timetable is entirely different than ours. We measure everything by time, and God understands that. He gave us those measurements so that we knew how to plant, we knew uh, seasons and times for our benefit. But when God looks at us, he doesn't see that way. And, and God sees things seamlessly. And so when it comes to this word grace, we have had grace, we have grace, and there's future grace. Now let me explain something to you. If you don't believe in future grace, and all you have is the grace of your past, I've been saved, and you focus on what God has done, God saved me, instead of what God is doing now, and the grace that's sufficient for now. See, the Bible even teaches that we go from grace to grace to grace to grace. And so once you can change your focus and say, wait a minute, not only was there grace for Jesus to save me, he who spared not his own son, how will he not freely give us all things? See, he who spared, didn't, he didn't spare Jesus, why wouldn't he give you everything else? But see, so many of us get focused on what God did, and then the devil comes in, he takes advantage of that. Because how many of you have ever questioned your salvation? Oh, when did you get saved? I got saved back then. No, I'm being, I, I am being saved by grace through faith all the time. It's, it's, not, it's not an event. It's the process. In God's eyes, I am being saved. Having begun a good work in me, he's able to bring it to completion. He, he doesn't see it as an event. He sees it as, hey, my grace is sufficient for you, for everything that you need in your future now. And, and you have to understand, when it mixes with faith, when is faith? Faith is right now. Faith is right now. Faith is right now. The faith you had one second ago is old faith. This is now faith. You don't need faith for what you have. You need faith for what you need. And the faith works now, but the grace propels you to see and hope for future grace, for future, for future things. But see, if, if you've lost your heart for the future, if you've lost your heart that God can move in your future like he did in your past, if you've lost your heart that God can conquer your enemies, that God can defeat your enemies, that God can turn your situation around, that there's grace for that, then you'll never move in faith. And I'm, not, I, I'm sorry, I talked to too many of you that are believers around this country, and you've lost hope. You don't believe in the grace that God gave you, the grace that is abundant grace, amazing grace, a grace that is so sufficient for your future. A grace that can keep you against that day. A grace that will cause you to have a hope and a future. and Look out and say, oh, I can touch that. I can touch it. It's not just believing that Jesus died for you and died for your sins. It's not also just believing for heaven and the age to come. That's not what this grace is for. Romans 8.32, 8.32, he who spared not his own son, but freely gave him, how will he not freely also give us all things, everything else? That's the grace I'm talking about. And so what we have to do is we have to begin to learn how to persevere in grace. You have to learn how to persevere in your thought life. The Bible says as a man thinks, so is he. So how do you think? In fact, the real verse says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And it's talking about going to a rich man's house and eating with him. And, I, and he's saying, oh, enjoy yourself. Yeah, please, have as much as you like. And on the outside, he's saying, but on the inside, he's hating you. 
He's resenting you. He's, he, he doesn't, well, he, his heart isn't revealed by his words. Can I, can, I, can I say something to you? God's revealing our hearts. And he wants us to have hearts that are towards him. Hearts full of grace. Hearts full of faith. And, and, and here, here's what you need to understand. It's not what you say in church that matters. You see, I know that many of us in church, we say all the right things. Oh, praise the Lord. And Jesus is, you know, uh, he's the Alpha, the Omega. He's the, you know, uh, and, and, we have, and, and, and we become the church of the first cliche. I'm the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Glory be to God. Jesus is good. All the time. All the time Jesus is good. And after a while, it's just cliche, cliche, cliche. And it's really not a connection with our faith. It's not a connection with the grace that God gave us. We're not growing in God. We've not studied to show ourselves approved. Workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly divided. We're not warring. We're not doing anything. We're just hoping for a miracle. We're hoping for a, a, a raven to bring us food. We're hoping for a dog to bring us a bag of money. Miracle money. We're, we're hoping for oils that heal us. We're hoping for all kinds of crazy stuff. And when, in fact, God already gave you his battle strategy, gave you how you can mature and become the man and the woman of God he designed you to be. It doesn't come easily, but it comes by faith. The Bible says that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Ephesians 4.22, he says, Put off concerning former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Let's go back to where we started tonight. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. What was he talking about? What story is this? Well, we can see it depicted throughout Israel. But probably the strongest picture is found in the book of Numbers. The 13th chapter. The Bible says, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men that they can search out the land of Canaan, which I gave to the children of Israel, of every tribe of their fathers. Shall you send a man? Every one of them will be a ruler amongst them. God said, listen, I'm going to take a leader, one man from each of the 12 tribes. Give me your best man. Give me your best leader. He took the best men. Moses chose the 12 strongest, best, mightiest said, go look and spy out the land for us. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. Well, I'll tell you what. It's really sad when the heads have no faith. It's really sad when the heads who are guiding us have lost trust in God. And they came to the brook Eskel, and they cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they had to bear it between two upon a staff. And they brought the pomegranates, and they brought of the figs. And the place was called the brook Eskel because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation and to the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and they brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and they showed them the fruit of the land. Oh, don't you remember what it was like after independence? Oh my goodness, the fruit of the land is amazing. This is a great land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Opportunities galore. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither you sent us, and surely it flowed with milk and honey. 
And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land on the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountain, and the Canaanites, and the electric lights. Oh, no. We don't have electric lights. There's no Zessa. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go over at once and possess it, for we're well able to take the land. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a man whose heart was aligned with God. There's a man who had faith. Amen. Caleb and Joshua. Come on, we can take the land. God said it's ours. Come on. Let's take these enemies. But. Everybody say but. See, I'll tell you what, isn't that what happens to you and I? I know what the Bible says. I know what the Bible says. But, well, you know, I know my pastor said. I know God gave me a prophecy. I know the great preacher came to town and he picked me out of the crowd and he, he, he told me that my life would count for something. I know I was reading my Bible the other day and the pages, the, the words were just jumping off the page at me. I felt like it was God speaking to me. But, but, but the men that went up with him said, we're not able to go up against those people. They're stronger than we are. And they brought up an evil report of the land. They didn't have future grace See, they just saw God deliver them, keep them in food and keep them in clothing and keep them. For 40 years, they've been walking with God and they haven't lost a thing. God's kept them in, in a wilderness in the worst conditions possible. Their roots should have been growing deep, deep, deep so they could step into the promised land. Well, God, I'm going to tell you something. God's leading the people of Zimbabwe. God's leading you and I, those who are ready, into a promised land. And you can't live the same way you did in the wilderness in this new promised land. Amen. If you're going to come into this promised land, God's got to do something differently. And you've got to be ready for it. Amen. The only problem is, if your mantra is, but, you're not going to come in. Some of us, oh, I'd love to tithe. But... I can only get $40 cash out of the bank. Do a transfer. I'd love to give, but I'd love to serve, but I'd love to be in a cell group, but <laughs> this is what they said. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people we saw in it were men of great stature. We saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And here's the, here's the most defining word of the Israelites. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Can I tell you something? That's what hurts me about the church in Zimbabwe. We have let somebody else define us. We're letting somebody else define what we can teach. We're letting somebody else define who we are. We're letting somebody else define us. That's what grieves me about Christians. Who's defining you? Who are you allowing to brainwash you? We're all being brainwashed. I said we're all being brainwashed. But I want to choose who washes my brain. 
I want to be washed and renewed in the spirit of my mind by the word of God, with the high praises of God in my mouth, and a two-edged sword in my hand. See, if we're going to go out and conquer and gain the spoils of war, you can't do that without a victorious mindset. You can't do that without fully being persuaded in your own heart that God has a hope and a future, that God will give you the victory. You have to have a word from heaven in order to defeat the enemies of hell. You have to, we have to come to a place that we understand what God's very intention for you as an individual, for you as a family, for us as a church, for your business, for our society, even for our nation is. God designed all those institutions, not man. God designed them, and God gave laws to govern them. When we fail to seek God, when we fail to obey God, when we fail to allow Jesus Christ to have headship in a nation, Jesus Christ to have headship in our society, Jesus Christ to have headship in our families and in our lives and in our churches, we fail miserably. Jesus is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. And there is no other way. The only way to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. And if you've never received Jesus, you have no relationship with the Father. You may have religion. I grew up a religious man. I was very strong in my religion. And I knew all about God according to my religion. I went through my catechism religiously. I served in my church religiously. I studied and went to the finest schools religiously. And then it took a simple man to come to me and to tell me, about Jesus, to tell me about Jesus who was the Christ, and that just because you go to church doesn't make you a believer in Jesus. It doesn't make you someone who knows Christ. Just because you have religion doesn't make you know God or God know you. He says any more than sitting in a garage would turn you into a Volkswagen. God is calling all men everywhere into a personal relationship with him. I'm sorry, the answer is not the church. The church is a vehicle that you attend to grow and to be taught and to learn. But Jesus is the answer. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.